2: Kia Welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Raut. Today, Ruth, I'm going to replay an interview I did with Abbas Nazari about his book, After the Tampa because he will be appearing, actually in person, fingers crossed, <laughs> at the Word Festival, which is happening this weekend. Um, if... It all goes pie-shaped. It will be digital, so you can still be part of it. But um, if you're keen to come and listen to him talking with Helen Clark, please come along. It's at the town halls, so there'll be plenty of seats and lots of distancing lots so you'll of, be you'll be safe yes
1: you will and I say congratulations to Rachel and Mary- Marianne Marianne and uh, all the team because uh, the word team because they have really um brought it back yes they persisted and it's going to be great it will. So, this week, um the lighthouse by Christopher Parker is um an interesting, fascinating novel because it's got magical realism, I suppose. Well, he's told me that um there's a lot of that uh, readers are putting it in that bracket, in that box, but I don't think it should be in a box. it's just um a sad story. A, Positive story, magical story in parts, and it, it just um, flows along. And it's, it's um, everything, really, a mystery as well, The Lighthouse. After spending nearly 10 years writing, editing and dreaming, Christopher Parker is making his authorial debut with a page-turning book flowing with love, suspense, mystery and whimsy. Originating from a short story he created as a child, the result of Christopher's decade-long mission to produce a book has come to fruition with the publication of The Lighthouse. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you for having me on. And... uh, Where did this all come from? Ten years is a long time.
0: It is a very long time and it's certainly not a length of time I want to repeat (laughs) for the next one. Um, But I think in terms of it being my first novel, there were just a lot of mistakes I had to make along the way, um, a lot of lessons I had to learn um, before I really could get a handle on the craft. So a lot of it, there was a first draft that took three years and it was 800 pages long. It was just way overwritten and I got to the end of it and didn't know what I was doing so I decided to scrap that and start again I spent another few years on a second draft and it still wasn't I could tell that it wasn't really up to the standards so it really was a long lengthy process of trying to find my way through and learn about the not just the craft of writing but the actual craft of a novel and the art form that that is um, and so it was very much a it was a challenge. It was educational, but it's very fulfilling to get to the end and have something that I'm proud of.
1: <laughs> I imagine. I'm sure the second one will come much more quickly. I hope so, because I'm looking forward to it already. So we have Amy Tucker. She's struggling to put her life back together following the death of her mother. She's 18, and she doesn't feel that the world will ever be whole again. And then... Um, they, she and her father visit Seabrook, a small town famous for its haunted lighthouse. And Ryan, she meets Ryan Porter, who le- lives a simple but busy life, maintaining the ranch which he shares with his father, who's had a stroke. So, it's a daughter and father, and a son and father story too, isn't it?
0: It is. It's very much. I mean, there's, there's, the two main characters are, are Amy and Ryan, really, two young people, and they form a strong bond. But Parallel to that is the two yeah, relationships that each of them have with their fathers. So it's very much a story about it's a story about love between young, young people, but also about that um, parent-child dynamic and unconditional love that exists there. I, I really wanted that to be sort of the theme running through it, as well as the sort of two young people meeting each other and um, forming a bond. But yeah, it was really... Because I started the book just shortly after my own daughter was born, and it started off as a story just about the father and daughter. And that's sort of the experience I had had and what I wanted to tap into when writing the book. Um, and so that's that, I feel like that's the emotional core of the book, that father-daughter relationship between Amy and her dad.
1: That's right. But, um, you know, it's called The Lighthouse, And it's very much the pivot part of the story. The lighthouse, uh, we think of, well, I think of lighthouses, especially ones that are falling apart and haven't been looked after, but I think most of them are haunted. Um, You know, you go back to old stories of old um, lighthouses, and you can imagine what might have happened there. There are true stories and imaginative stories written about it, and, and in this... T- town, the lighthouse was um, a pivot for people, wasn't it?
0: It was, and that was the, the 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 bit I found most enjoyable and probably the easiest was creating this town and, and creating the picture of this lighthouse and being able to create my own myths around it and the reasons why the whole town is so scared of it and its haunted past. And, and it's not just building character into the town and giving it a personality with the lighthouse, but it does all, also play a very... You know, central role in the plot. It's not just a, um, a device that's sitting off to the side. It does play an important role. And as you get through it, you realise that the lighthouse does. You know, it, it's, it's important that the reader also believes the town's fear of the lighthouse and understands, you know, why they're so apprehensive about it. And and so that so you're really channeling um, the, the the town's history about it so that when the plot does sort of turn, it takes you through twists and turns, that you understand why and that you go along with it. I think that helps sell the, the plot as it moves through it, twists and
1: turns. Yes, and that was beautifully done, I felt, and um, there were surprises all the way, really. After Ryan and uh, Amy met, um, there were it, it became a page turner, really, and it, things happened that I wasn't expected to expecting to happen. And um, I really felt that you got the reality and the magic um, mixed together really very well.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I, mean, I can't a, talk
1: about the plot. I don't want to mention the plot because that'll give yeah, too much away. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's hard to talk. It's hard to, it's hard to sort of sell the book and market the book in terms of yeah not being able to really talk about what it's actually about and what actually happens. And and it's kind of a challenge trying to explain what the genre is, too, because there's a few genres at play there. There's a, there's a bit of mystery, but there's a bit of romance and um, a bit of adventure. But there's no—it it doesn't fit squarely into any of those sorts of genres either. So I really, I really feel like a reader has their best experience if they just leave expectations at the door and just go along with the plot and go along with the story, and not really expecting, you know, if, if a romance reader picks up a romance, they're expecting sort of tropes along the way and things that you have to hit, um, whereas this book sort of it takes a few genres and goes in a few different paths. So I really feel like just walking into it, not really expecting one thing or the other and just going along with it, I think is the best way to sort of experience I'm
1: sure. It. Why do we always put things into boxes? <laughs> I don't know. No. <laughs> you say, um, you talk about that uh, you're intrigued by the concept of death and the eternal question of what ultimately becomes of us. So although the book deals with grief and loss, but it's much more than that because it's this story, this love story, um, and it's between the love that exists between parent and child. And it's, um, it's a tangible part of, of the human spirit that endures long after we've gone. And that's the bit that really took me, um, grabbed me. Playing that bit that you play out in the story.
0: Yeah, it's something that I wanted to explore as best I could. I mean, everyone's going to have their different views, you know. And it's not it's not going to be for everybody what happens in the book. Um, some people some people love the ending. Some people would have preferred a different ending. But um, I think that I just really wanted to try and explore the whole concept of love between you know, young people and parent and child and how that endures through different stages of life and death and what carries over and all those sorts of things. And it's, it's a big topic to explore and everyone's going to have their own point of view. But I just really felt that, that, that there is the, the core of the story and I just wanted to kind of illustrate it and from my own personal point of view, um, how I feel about it and try and illustrate it between and show it between two young people and the parent child. And I really think at the end of the book, when you see what happens, I think it's my way of trying to really show, um, a, you know, sort of, a, even though there's a lot of grief and a lot of sadness through the book, I wanted to leave it with a hopeful, uplifting ending, um, even though, you know, despite what's come before it. I didn't want the, the reader to sort of close the pages and be depressed and sad. Um, I no, to no, not at, all at all. Sort of, Yeah, wanted to be a bit more hopeful. Yeah. Oh,
1: you're very hopeful, and and it was the perfect ending for me. Um, well, it could have been could have been different, but that was an, an ending that um, was a surprise and also um, just fitted that story perfectly. I'm not I'm not surprised you took ten years actually, but um, you've certainly played around with it, and um, it's come out so well. Is this the kind of, these themes that you've done, uh, chosen in this book, are they the kind of themes that you're going to continue with your second book?
0: Yeah, well, we would love to sort of write a similar style book for a second one. I mean, I, I, at the moment I'm just kind of a limbo, waiting to see what the response will be to this one because I knew writing it, that I knew that it wasn't going to be for everyone, and I wasn't sure if If readers would sort of go along with it and enjoy it. So I'm just in that limbo phase of waiting to see if it it is actually a book that people, you know, want to read and will enjoy. And if it is, um, then that will give me sort of confidence to write another one. Otherwise, I think I'd have to.
1: Go with it. Go with it, Christopher. (laughs) Just go with it. Don't worry too much about your readers, they'll be there. And uh, as Tina Shaw in Auckland. Writer, a fiction writer of some um, some repute, uh, describes it as uh, bloody amazing.
2: <laughs> so, what better comment you. could you have
1: than that? And uh, it's just a, it's compelling. It's filled with hope and renewal and a touch of magic. And uh, from this debut novel from New Zealand, Christopher. Christopher Parker is a very quite different, and a, to me, it will enchant readers of all ages. I I think it's not just for adults; it's for t- um, younger people too. So, um, congratulations on this first book.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on.
1: The Lighthouse by Christopher Parker is published by Beacon Press. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. After
2: the Tampa, from Afghanistan to New Zealand, is the extraordinary story of Abbas Nazari. He escaped the Taliban as a young child. He was adrift at sea as a refugee for weeks on the Tampa and found home here in Aotearoa. The Nazari family ended up here in Christchurch, and Abbas is now a graduate of Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., having been given a Fulbright scholarship. Abbas will be talking about his book and his experiences with Helen Clark at the Word Festival this weekend, and she, of course, was instrumental in bringing him and his family here after that terrible experience on board the Tampa. Abbas, the, the opening statement in the prologue says that you don't think you've personally accomplished anything worthy of writing a book about, but I think you're being incredibly self-deprecating because what you've written about in this book is an extraordinary life, uh, extraordinary adventures, extraordinary bravery. And it's not just you, but it's your family as well. Tell me about why you were so reluctant to tell the story to begin with.
3: Um, Thank you, Moran, and it's a fantastic question to to begin off with. Um, I think the whole writing process really took me Um, took me aback a little bit. I was approached to write this book by um, Alan and Unwin a couple of weeks before I was due to fly out to the U.S. on my Fulbright scholarship. Um, And my first response was, uh, yeah, nah, you know, I rejected them uh, simply because I thought it was, uh, you know, who am I to write a book? Uh, What kind of story am I telling? You know, I haven't really done anything. And then they were very gracious in accepting that. And they said the offer will be on the table whenever you change your mind. And the more I thought about it and, and chewed over the question a little bit, the more I realized that perhaps this is a story worth writing and, and perhaps there is an audience for it out there. So I actually thought about it for a good six months before I got back to them and said, yeah, let's do it.
2: And then you had um, a lockdown to help you.
3: That's right. That's right. So I was in the U.S. Uh, at the start of 2020, when uh, the, the COVID pandemic was starting to, um, you know, grip the world, um, and uh, I was, you know, prior to the actual lockdown, I was trying to plan my schedule, plan my day to the minute, to try and find a couple of hours every day to really write. And then when the lockdown hit uh, in early to mid March, and now I had all the time in the world, and. Uh, it was, you know, the silver lining to an otherwise grim time, um, but writing uh, really became an outlet as, as uh, you know, I was stuck in my studio apartment in, in D.C. for 23 hours a day.
2: And you discovered that you had more than enough to write about, I bet. So let's just go back to your early life in Afghanistan and and what it was that... Um, propelled your father to decide to take his family on this, um, f- you know, fraught and, and dangerous journey?
3: That's right. Um, so I was born and raised in the in the mountains of Afghanistan in a in a province called uh, Ghazni province uh, which is very mountainous. It's the tail end of the Hindu Kush mountain range which is connected to the Himalayas. Uh, beautiful, idyllic lifestyle up in the villages. Uh, but obviously in the, in the early to mid-90s when Afghanistan was in the middle of a civil war and then we had the arrival of the Taliban, uh, that idyllic lifestyle uh, and our, uh, then our village was, was disrupted in a, in a major way. And so we kind of lived through the 90s until the Taliban completely overran the country by 2000. <clears throat> and by 2001, the situation had gone to the point where we had to leave and, and seek uh, asylum uh, elsewhere, whether that was going to be within the country or another country. And we, as I detail in the book, we um, crossed the border into Pakistan and uh, stayed at a refugee camp there uh, for a number of months
2: your father had to have, and your mother too, but your father as the mastermind had to have extraordinary faith in the people that he was giving the money to, that he was negotiating with, that they would honour um, honour that and, and take you on from all these stops and you finally end up on a beach in Indonesia waiting for this complete rust bucket of a yeah. boat to take you <laughs>
3: <Exactly>. <laughs> towards um, I Australia.
2: Tried
3: to, yeah, I tried to capture um, particularly my dad's desperation in in being forced to flee. And so you can kind of you know get into his head and, and see him going through his network of contacts about who he can trust, who he can't trust, where he's going to be taking a risk, and, and him coming to grips with that internal battle about... You know, taking his family on this perilous, perilous journey, uh, and so, and obviously, you know, my dad is the main character there. But you know, my mum's right there every step of the way, you know, uh, pushing and pulling and make sure making sure that he's thought through everything uh, to the best that he can. Um, and we say, yeah, you're right. And we, after months on the road, we find ourselves in Indonesia, about to board uh, this tiny fishing boat uh, uh, to Australia.
2: Then you, again, um, the whole family and the people on board the boat become part of this huge international drama because you ended up on the Tampa. And um, we, I remember, but um, it was good to read this and be re-reminded of what an extraordinary standoff that was and what Australia did to try and stymie all efforts to to give you what is, you know, your enshrined in your rights.
3: That's right. That's right. It's um, one thing I make really clear in that is that the moment you mention the Tampa to, to folks who remember hearing about it on the news or, or saw it in the papers, they have a very particular view of it because everyone's on the outside and media coverage was very minimal and uh, everything was so controlled and managed. Uh, out of Canberra, and so now, for the first time in over 20, 20 years exactly, what you have is a story from the inside, what it was like for someone on that boat, and so uh, that is one of the reasons why I came to the realisation that perhaps this is a story worth telling, uh, because now you get the the other side of it, the human story, the the, the, the on-the-ground perspective. <laughs>
2: And you know it's we need to be as i say reminded of of the uh, terrible um attitude the uh, words fail me actually um and they they must it must have been incredibly um infuriating for you, i suppose yeah. to right. go through that and and put it down on paper how much mm-hmm. effort went into trying to make sure that you never reached um, your destination.
3: That's right. Um, You know, uh, the writing process uh, was, uh, uh, I call it, a a deep and long search down memory lane because there were times uh, when I did have to kind of take a step back and and kind of check my emotions. Um, Because you are, you know, on on the sharp end of the stick here, in terms of uh, an overpowering government who, who has taken a hard stance here. Um, so there was there was a lot of that involved. Um, but 20 years on, uh, you know, it's sad to say that some of those policies are still in place uh, and it doesn't feel like the needle has moved much at all.
2: No, not at all. It stayed pretty much where it was. Exactly. Uh, so a book like this is is not just timely, but but absolutely essential. So good luck in lots of ways brought you and your family to Christchurch.
3: That's right. <laughs> and, you know, Christchurch has been home for us, been a fantastic home for us. And um, even though I've been living in Wellington well, and even living in overseas for the last couple of years, um, everyone asks me, where, where are you from? And I always say, uh, Christchurch, Christchurch is home.
2: Well, you thrived here. Your whole, whole family thrived. It's, you know, it's just extraordinary how you took on all of you. You just arrived here and decided to take every possible opportunity. I mean, there you are about two years later, third in New Zealand, and the spelling bee, for goodness sake. <laughs>
3: that's right. It's, uh, that's You know, that, that those particular chapters um, – of the book about those early years and my favorite chapter in the book, which I call the Kiwi dream. Um, Those are my favorite to write because, uh, you know, I was thinking about those early years and everything that we just go to on a, on a normal day to day basis. You know, as kids, we just jumped right into it. And it's only in hindsight that you see that, wow, we really, really got stuck in, you know, just taking in every opportunity with both hands and just, just rolling with the punches and, you know if we get knocked down, we get back up and it was actually a really, really joyous couple of chapters to write and um, and I was thinking about who my audience there was uh, in writing that, and part of it was like, well, maybe it's to to Kiwis and uh, readers who haven't gone through this experience to be like, "Wow, this is how you do it but on the same on the other side of the coin it was actually to other immigrants and refugee uh, people of refugee backgrounds to look at it and be like, you know, these steps day by day are uh, to be cherished and to be proud of. You know, I talk about, uh, you know, joining the local football club or going to the library or uh, getting a first job or, um, you know, moving out of state housing, for example. All of those things that we just kind of, took in our stride, are actually pretty momentous achievements uh, in hindsight.
2: Oh, they were. They were. You've just got a Master's in Security Studies from Georgetown University through your Fulbright Scholarship, so... Remarkable, Abbas. But you say that you hope to help children of refugee backgrounds build meaningful lives in their adopted homelands, and I can't think of anybody better to be doing that sort of work.
3: Thank you. Um, you know, the, the Masters in Security Studies from Georgetown has been an incredible uh, uh, two-year experience in the U.S. Um, you know, when I signed up for it, I never knew what you know history would throw at us. I was in D.C. You know, at this throughout the pandemic, uh, through the civil unrest that we saw last year, through the um, economic meltdown, and obviously the the election issues that followed. Uh, so my American experience has really kind of opened up my eyes to to the whole plethora of American society. But to your second point, that's right. I think long term, um, I'd love to work in a in the field, uh, helping helping refugee and immigrant. Um, yeah, uh, kids uh build meaningful lives in their adopted homelands. Uh, whether that's navigating their I guess hyphenated identities to, you know, professional and career advice to um, you know, social support. Uh, what that looks like I'm not quite sure at the moment, but uh that's definitely where I see myself working in.
2: Well, it is a remarkable book and I'm so glad that you changed your mind and decided that you did have something to write about. (laughs) It's utterly absorbing and it's a huge tribute to your family and to you. So thank you, Abbas. After the Tampa, From Afghanistan to New Zealand by Abbas Nazari is published by Alan and Unwin. And join us, Maureen Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.